Yes, I was wanting to know if I could uh, ask two questions. Okay. Well, the first question is, I wanted to know, is your church a oneness believer, Trinitarian, Unitarian? Do you believe that Jesus is God or the embodiment such as the Son, who's his own uh, specific person, uh, separate of that of God? Um, we would be Trinitarian. We believe in the Trinity, God in three persons. Okay. If you don't mind me asking, I have been doing a, a great deal of exploration uh, in the New Testament, and there are passages where Jesus says, uh, he mentions God as being his Father and our Father, our, our God and his God. This is mentioned in the book of John. Now, why mm -hmm. would he say that his father is God over him as well as mankind if he truly is uh, God? And I'm not stating that uh, I'm against the idea of Jesus being God. I'm just trying to make sure that I have it all stable in my thought process. Does that make sense? Yeah, I understand that. Um, those are all really good questions to ask. And when we study God's Word, um, my best explanation that I can give, um, and I can certainly um, take a message and you can speak with one of our pastors if you'd like, is that, you know, from Trinitarian belief, it is they it is God and that God is one, but also three separate persons, which is a difficult thing even to wrap our brains around. So Jesus is God, but he is also the son of God. It's not like complicated to me to believe that there can be one celestial body with several minds that exist in it. I understand mm -hmm. that there are humans out there who have uh, a certain condition where they can actually have almost like a couple different consciousness or uh, mindsets and personalities all existing within the same person. So that's not something that I'm against or I see as impossible. I just wonder where people even get the idea because the Trinity isn't even mentioned. The word Trinity itself isn't even mentioned in the New Testament. And I see that even in the afterlife, when you read the book of Revelations, it describes mm -hmm. God as a father and Jesus as a prince that is basically taking on the inheritance and power of his father. That's why I'm having a difficult time. It's not just him walking around on earth. It's also how he seems to have his form of authority in the afterlife. Does that make sense? Yeah, that it does. Um, it's And it's something, um, it's one of those things to sit here and have a conversation about the... <laughs> Trinity, my brain is not, I need a minute to um, kind of get gather my thoughts, like I said. Um, well, that's fine with me, ma'am. Take your time. I'm, I'm in no kind of rush. I hope that you are <laughs> not like uh, overwhelmed with work right now or anything like that. I'm nope, enjoying my conversation good. with you. I'm just trying to get it all figured out. This is a tough question, I know, because uh, people have been... Uh, basically having discussions about this for years haven't they yeah and and you're and like you said and it's always good questions to ask um those mean that we're actually taking time to study god's word and understand and you know find um 
you know, a, a deeper knowledge of him. Um, I'm trying to find a reference here um, okay. that would possibly be helpful to you because, well, again, sometimes just there's a, trying there's, to wrap my own thoughts around how to kind of talk about it. While you're looking up a, a passage or looking for the information, may I give you a couple uh, things that uh, have put me in the position that I am while you're looking at that? Sure. Well, there's uh, quite a few instances where Jesus Christ himself He's praying in the garden, and he actually prays to his father. And he says something to the effect of, if this is your will, Father, then let it be done. It's as if he's asking if it's possible uh, that there could be an alternative to what is happening. I don't think that Jesus at any point ever planned on deciding against what God was telling him to. The point was is that there was a conversation going with a how shall I say, this divinity conversation where he doesn't know if he, if this is going to be something that he wants to be involved in. Number two, it's whenever he's on the cross, he says, Father, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? If he was God, wouldn't he say something to the effect of that would be more appropriate? Why have I forsaken myself? And I hope that doesn't come off blasphemous, but that's the reason. No, no, I totally the, understand what you're saying, that those... And some of it because we can look at things in that and we forget that when Jesus was on earth, he was fully human and fully divine. And some of those things are expressions of his humanity. He did not lose his divinity, but he was also fully human in those moments. And so, and also, and again, it's because it's the three essence in three persons, not even three essence, it's three persons in one, um, that kind of becomes a different, that he, that Jesus is his own being as the son of God and also God as part of the Trinity. And so it's not, um, there isn't a separation. And when we read scripture, I can see, like you said, that it seems contradictory to a Trinitarian belief when we look at those things. But again, it's remembering that he was fully human in that moment in the flesh walking the earth while also fully divine. And so some of those conversations with God were coming out of the humanity that he was walking in and chose to take on in that moment. Does that make sense? Yes. That feels very yeah. simplistic and not, um, but that's, I mean, that to me is the best way that I understand those moments. Cause this is, um, you know, from a theological doctrinal standpoint, I mean, you can deep dive into, um, in, into a whole lot. What do, what do, um, I've, I've heard it mentioned, uh, as you said and everything that he was a hundred percent God, but he was also a hundred percent human. And it seems to me that although on the appearance of him, if you were walking with him back in the day, he would obviously come off very clearly like that of a man. But the fact that he had the ability to raise the dead and heal the sick and also raise himself up which, by the way, is a, another thing that concerns me because it said God raised Jesus Christ, not Jesus mm -hmm. Christ raised Jesus Christ. So that's, a, that's another issue. But the point is, is 
How do we define a human in these matters when you've got a guy who is capable of squeezing his fist together and bringing 50,000 angels down on mankind for its evil uh, as opposed to the regular average Joe walking around? Do you follow me? Yeah. Well, again, I think it's because when we say fully human and fully divine, it's what is your that it's a mingling of the two in that Jesus was fully human and that he was a, in a human flesh and felt what we feel and felt hunger and thirst and got tired and, you know, that that humanity that we feel and at the same time was fully divine in that connection to. Right. And that makes, that's where that's, that power came from. And so, yeah, so that's what I say, like, because understanding that he was fully human and fully divine, there's a connection that Jesus has to us, that that empathy that it talks about in Hebrews, that he is our high priest, that um, that he is empathetic and understanding is because he walked as a human, faced temptation, and yet did not sin, you know, kind of being able to, for lack of a better, like I said, more, for lack of a better phrasing, to kind of walk a mile in our shoes. Right. And and with that then comes that empathy. At the same time, he was fully God and had a connection to God that we cannot have outside of the Holy Spirit. When he, that it, you know, that he had the same power, um, and knowledge of God. I think that you've made some and excellent while, points, ma'am, for sure. And while, and I did find some references to kind of give you, because while the word Trinity is not um, found in the Bible, um, you know, there are verses that speak of kind of that um, three-in-one, the, the doctrine of it um, in... Um, let me see. Hold on. I lost it. My eyes are, I, my, I need new glasses and I can't see without, <laughs> um, Deuteronomy 6, 4, Isaiah 44, 6, um, that passages, um, that talk about the deity of Jesus Christ would be like John 1, um, John eight fifty eight, where Jesus before Abraham was born, I am. Um, so there are, when you know, if, when you search, even though the word Trinity is not mentioned, there are lots of verses that point to that doctrine. All right, then uh, I understand what you're getting at. Basically, he's human in the sense that he's uh, relatable. He can feel what we feel. He can uh, comprehend pain and suffering just as we do, and he lives like a man, where he eats, drinks, and obviously uses a restroom and has all the natural things that uh, a man would have. I I think you made some very um, excellent points there. I have one more question for you, ma'am, if that's okay, if you have the time. I can do my best. Okay, you're doing great. You're doing great. I'm really appreciating you taking the time out of your day to talk to me about these things. Uh, You mentioned Isaiah. One of the questions I have is actually from Isaiah. It's Isaiah 45, 7. It says, I form the light and the darkness. I create peace and evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. I'm trying to understand, is God stating that he is 
at fault for all things that are created, including that which is considered negative or ominous or destructive? Um, well, hold on. Let me look up the verse and read it so that I can see That's the context. That's Isaiah 45, 7, ma'am. Yep, I got it right here. Um, and one, it's this is where when we read, from, we take things into context. So what is the full context of the book of Isaiah? Who is writing? Who are they writing to? What's the situation? Because all of that um, is how we form the understanding of what's being said. And, you know, a couple key things is that the word translated evil um, is really a word that means adversity, affliction, which still doesn't, you know, we're like, okay, well, did God create affliction? And the Hebrew, um, so it's understanding that word and so it's not necessarily saying evil the way that we would define that word specifically because there's a plethora of definitions there. But also it that um, there the context of that makes it kind of clear and as we look at the full context that some, that it's not talking about bringing moral evil into existence. That's not what's in mind, that the context is God rewarding Israel for obedience and punishing Israel for disobedience. So basically it's saying God pours out salvation and blessings on those he favors, and there is judgment because God is a holy God, and with holiness comes judgment for sin on those who rebel. So it's talking about in that instance, it's he's saying, hey, I... I bring blessing and favor on the obedient. I punish the disobedient. So that's the context of that verse. It's not talking about the general good and evil of the world. It's talking specifically to the people of Israel about that that God, their God, is the God who brings judgment as well as blessing. See, the reason why I bring up that verse is, Obviously, I've uh, I've tried not to be one of these type of people who just like read one passage and then roll with it or type of thing. I also am reminded of Exodus chapter 4, verse 11, where God and Moses are having a conversation. Obviously, Moses didn't feel like he was the right man or he didn't have the ability to communicate properly. And he basically said to God, are you sure? <laughs> kind of the conversation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Are you so, sure you want to send me in to do this? Questions. And God says in Exodus 4.11, he says, who makes man's mouth? Who makes the blind and the deaf and the dumb? Is it not I, the Lord? So God is basically telling him, not only do I make good speaking people, but I also make insane and equal people who are not able to communicate well. It's through my power you're going to be able to do this. Although I understand the concept, the the issue is, is that there's a flip to the coin here. God is basically saying that he creates people with disabilities and issues and blemishes intentionally, whether they were guilty and deserved it in the first place. What is your thoughts on that, ma'am? Well, I think we have the assumption that a disability is a punishment. And it's not necessarily, I know lots of people who were born with disabilities. My sister is one of them who would never consider her disability a punishment. And we look at that as well, because they're not the perfect example of human health, that that is a defect. 
and that that's a punishment and that that was a mistake. Well, um, ma- ma'am, I, I fully understand that, that we I have people that are disabled in my family as well. I get that. But I also realize what society and culture was back like back in ancient days. A person who was blind would not be able to properly hunt. Uh, they were like nomads that lived in tribes. If you could not hear, you would not know if there is a creature coming at you or a bunch of raiders wanting to tear you apart or an, an external tribe coming in to raid you. Uh, having these kind of issues would have made it very, very difficult for you to survive in a time like that. Nowadays, we have people like ourselves who are very kind and loving, and we reach out to those who don't have certain advantages. You follow? But back then, mm-hmm. it would have been um, it would have been a a sentence of death almost for some people, depending on the severity of the problem. Do you get where I'm going with that? Yeah, I understand that. Um, and and one, I mean, it's again, I mean the. There's a couple things here, and it's one is understanding that if God is sovereign, then he's sovereign even over those situations. But two, it's also when we look specifically at that verse, um, that interpreting it that necessarily that all infirmities are willed by God is not even necessarily what it's saying because he's, he's responding to Moses, and he's basically saying, look, if I made you, then I can overcome and help you overcome any impediment that you have. Right. And um, and so, again, so that context kind of shows because God is answering a question that Moses had because Moses is making an excuse, that God's basically saying, well, that's not an excuse because I created you, and so I can help you overcome anything I know how you were created. I know what you struggle with. I know that you, what you deal with there. And again, even back into if God is sovereign, then he has purposes and reasons for things that we may not always like, and we may not always understand, but that doesn't mean that his ultimate um, desire and purpose in it, even though the thing doesn't feel good, isn't good. And so, um, and like I said, and, and more specifically in reference to that particular scripture is there, God's giving an answer to Moses where he says, like, hey, you're trying to make an excuse that you're not good at speaking, but I'm telling you, if I created you right. and I create everyone, like, I can overcome that. So that's not an excuse. Right. And I completely understand that, and I believe that the passage is inspirational and basically saying that with God having your back, anything's possible to happen. I totally get that, and I obviously admire and and respect these passages. But uh, on the other hand, there is the flip of the coin, and, um, well, I I really don't need to repeat it on that. I'm sure that— No, and there is, and that's where—and it's, too, it's why we have to look at the whole one of— context within a chapter and within a book, but also within the whole of Scripture, because when we look at the whole of Scripture, we begin to understand the character of God and the nature of God, and we also begin to even more fully understand how much we don't understand 
about God. I won't pretend to say that I don't have some of the same thoughts, and sometimes we have those thoughts and even doubts about things, and that's where we continue to just go to his word um, to see more of who he is and what he values, and that gives us even, I think, a bigger picture beyond just the the individual instances in a passage. Well, ma'am, is uh, is it okay if in the future, if I have any more questions, I call, talk to you, or perhaps the preacher? I appreciate your time. You've uh, given me a lot of things, uh, food for thought, soul food, right, to think well, about. Well, I'm happy you think so. I don't know. <laughs> it feels like sometimes this conversations can be totally random. I don't always feel well prepared in the moment. So I hope that it maybe gave you some more to kind of look at, but you're welcome to call with questions anytime and um, even speak with one of the pastors about any questions that you have. Like I said, we just, we value questions around here. So um, we're happy to try and help as best we can answer questions or point you to things that can help you answer. Um, for instance, I don't know, um, I like to go to thebibleproject.com, and they have overviews that talk about the historical context of every book of the Bible that helps me gain bigger pictures, and then they do word studies and things. So that's an extra resource I like to use um, that I find beneficial when I have questions, because I have lots of questions, too. So. Right on, right on. Well, ma'am, I appreciate your time. I'll uh, call you back in the future, and perhaps we can have some more conversations. All right? For sure. Thank you. You have a great day. You too. God bless you, ma'am. Same to you. Bye.